the challenge for us is that you know all of these systems are are emitting alerts that need to be correlated and integrated into the same systems, mm-hmm. um, and so not only do you have to go and interact with all of these different APIs, but they they there's no common schema across them. Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Great. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Microsoft 365 Dev Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Schaeflein. And with me, as always, the wonderful Jeremy Thake. I'm practicing hey, because next week when we do this... I'm going to be interviewing you and Nina, so you won't be a host. So I figured I'd get practice. How did I sound? <laughs> you sounded very authoritative. <laughs> I think we should just interview Nina. We should stand there with a hot lamp and ask lots of really curly questions to her. Uh, well, that's your job. So uh, if you want to mess with it, I'm more than willing. <laughs> So I know it's a pre-Ignite craziness in Redmond this week, I can imagine. How are you holding up? Um, well, between this, renovating my house, and having a 15-month-old child, it's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever drunk as much Mountain Dew in my entire life. The soda machines here are uh, free, so you can just keep going back. And um, and then I just noticed one of our principal engineers brought in a whole box of donuts. And I'm like... There is just no point in me going to the gym with all the stuff I'm throwing in me this week. <laughs> oh, yes. I can remember those days. Um, so this uh, this uh, episode was one that you were able to uh, record uh, before Ignite. So uh, why don't you get, before we get into it, though, I was caught a little bit of news. Uh, the first one I saw was uh, some improvements to Office 365 and graph stuff inside of Power Apps. And the Power Apps team has re- released these, what they're calling screens, but us developers would probably call controls that you can drag and drop onto a canvas in Power Apps. And it gives you your typical Office 365 type of controls, a mail calendar. Uh, pretty helpful building blocks. And this is actually an exciting tech for the Power Apps team to take, I think, to help accelerate the development of common scenarios. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting because it's been a a piece of work that's gone on here between the Power Apps team that Casey Burke has driven as the PM and excuse me, and actually someone on our side, um, Arun, um, who is based in India actually as one of our PMs on the Outlook side that looks after the graph from a kind of mail calendar contacts type perspective. And so they've been working really closely on getting these new kind of UI screens as they're called um, so that you can easily kind of do things like drag and drop this, and I would call them controls as a developer rather than the screen, but I'm guessing screen is a terminology PowerApps uses. But dragging a control into an existing PowerApps UI that allows you to really easily send an email um, or schedule a meeting or search for a user using a really nice people picker that under the covers is using the Microsoft Graphs users endpoint. Um, and so it's really nice to see those kind of guess cross relationships getting better and stronger at Microsoft where it's like, hey, we've got these core data behind the graph and you know, you've got power apps here for power users. 
let's see if we can kind of streamline these things that make it easier. So if you're using Power Apps, it's, I, I suspect these are going to be super exciting for people, especially things like the calendars and the screenshot that's in the blog post. I'm like straight away, I've seen people build with these from scratch in Power Apps. So having this ability to kind of just show your calendar directly in an app is awesome. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. So that was um, a bit of news that's kind of crept out early. I'm guessing Casey was like, let's get it out for the noise onslaught of um, Ignite that's going to happen during the week of Ignite. I can't, and yeah. Then, and then um, Daryl um, posted on the Microsoft Graph. So he's one of the first PMs that has um, laid witness to me going, we need more blog posts on the Graph blog talking about what you guys are doing because clearly you've all got salaries and you've been paid and you're not just sitting there doing nothing. So blog about it. Um, and so... With Daryl, what we're trying to do is start to set the scene of, you know, since he's been on board in the team, not much longer than I have, or actually I think he started after me, where he owns the SDKs for the Microsoft Graph, is he's starting to tell the story of like state of mind right now of where he wants to take it and what things he thinks are issues with the SDK as it stands and the feedback he's been getting from speaking to lots and lots of people in the community. Um, so the, the post might seem a little bit like, oh, there's no news in there. But um, that's kind of where we're going with the blog is that we want it to be more open and open thoughts of the different PMs on the team um, and hopefully encourage people to comment on the posts and, um, you know, give their own opinions as well. And then over time, as we get things approved on where we're going to go with the SDKs, he'll start to kind of blog a little bit more about this is what you're going to have to look forward to from a kind of new new features and new switches and kind of, you know, different things like being able to only use the parts of the API stack or the SDK stack that you want to use and not have to use all of it. So there's some really cool stuff coming there. Yeah, I was uh, I read it with uh, great uh, anticipation and, and <laughs> hope, thought maybe something's leaked a little in advance, and that's not the case. But uh, it's good to see some thought going around that. I, I, the the fluent nature of the of the graph SDK for C sharp is a little cumbersome to me, but. Um, I think that it's good to have someone else coming in talking about it, thinking about it. That it, the the takeaway I got from this is that just because that's the way it works now, maybe it's not the best, or or we want to at least let you get down into the details. And and certainly in my job, I end up digging into you know what what's the URL that's being called behind the scenes of, of the SDK. So I'm glad to see that the this is a good first step and a nice set to scope. So it's certainly a good read for anyone who's been tinkering. It's not something actionable today, but it's certainly some information that can be helpful to you going forward. And yeah, yeah. and I would echo your comment. That if you have thoughts, certainly want to get them in front of people at Microsoft, and this is a great place to go do it. Yeah, and I think, you know, we're trying to push more of the out-in-the-open approach. There's a lot of PMs that, um, you know, put their hands up and said they haven't engaged as, as well as they'd like to. And that's another thing I'm, I'm actively working on right now is all those unanswered stack overflow questions that just seem to sit there and, go stagnant is trying to just get a little bit more activity going from all the PMs on the graph so that, you know, the community was a little bit more loved and, you know, you only have to look at what Vaser has done over in the SharePoint community, trying to keep PMs engaged there and make them accountable. And that's really what we're going to try and do with the graph side of it too. Yeah. And a big part of that is being out there, at least with something, it may not have to be announcements every week, but certainly getting something out there, uh, at least some type of conversation is, is certainly worthwhile, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
All right, so this uh, this uh, we're talking about the Microsoft Graph Security APIs, and so this was one that you did. Do you want to give us a quick insight uh, intro, yeah, and then uh, we can admit, call it a day? I am. Um, uh, I was astounded after that interview of what what this thing is capable of doing. Even the architecture and the design alignment was like, ah, it's just incredible. Um, and I think it kind of broadens. Uh, my mindset on what the graph is and moving away from this it's all about me on the graph to something that can be more organizational wide and um, it, the, the guys do a really good job of explaining like how this API came about and the journey they went on and including not only internal program teams that use this but also externally provide, external providers as well so um, even if you don't feel like you're going to listen to the or use the security API, I think there's a lot from an engineering perspective that is super interesting about this as well. So um, enjoy the show. If you do happen to listen to this when we immediately after launch, maybe you're traveling into Ignite early. Um, we're both there. We will be recording a live show and um, I will be at the Microsoft Graph booth um, pretty much every day in the week other than my 9am session with Yina that we're doing where we're going to announce all the new features. So please come say hi, tell us you listen to the podcast uh, and give us your feedback and, uh, and have a good week. Great. See you in Orlando. Cheers, buddy. Safe flight. Okay, so I'm in building 27 this morning with um, Sarah Fender and Jason Westcott. So thank you so much for joining today. Thanks for having us. We, um, it's exciting to talk to other kind of workloads that are coming on the graph that aren't the necessarily the usual suspects that have been there since the initial announcement. So um, a big thank you for joining. Um, Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself quickly just in terms of what you do at Microsoft and how, what you've been working on here? Sure. So my name is Sarah Fender. I'm a principal group program manager working on the intelligence security graph. Um, and there are two pieces in particular that are comprised of that um, that my team owns. One is our internal threat intelligence service. Um, so processes, you know, millions of um, uh, bits of information about what's bad in the world, bad IP addresses, bad files, that sort of thing. And then what will be the focus for today, I think, is the, the graph security API. Cool. And Jason, how do you fit into this as well? Hi, this is Jason Westcott. I'm the principal PM manager under Sarah Fender. Uh, so my primary responsible responsibilities are for the security API space and the Interflow uh, threat intelligence platform that all of our security products use to figure out what's bad out there in the world and uh, and make good determinations. So I feel like I was able to get into this building really easily. I was expecting to kind of have like <laughs> Fort Knox and you know like eyeball security to get into the room to come meet you, but. Uh, I guess it's spread out across a bunch of buildings, all this stuff that you guys do, right? Yeah, there's a ton of teams at Microsoft that are working on security, and yeah. um, that's actually kind of part of the reason that we we came to um, building this unified graph security API, not to jump too far ahead, but the idea of, of um, you know, all of these different teams um, uh, making investments in security and, and how do we make it simpler for customers and partners to, to get access to all of these disparate um, uh, insights. So. And, and we always ask this with the guests, but uh, you know, how did you get into computers, Sarah? Like, when, what age did you realize this was for you and not some other career path? Um, you know, I feel like I've, you know, we had laptops at my house for a long time, um, and um, you know, unlike, and I'm not a millennial, so <laughs> <laughs> we were pretty early adopters um, uh, at my house. But I guess one of the maybe key moments um, uh, was in college. Um, I was in. Um, 
uh, a physics class and didn't particularly love the the content um, and uh, ended up passing the class by building the first physics department website. Um, so that was maybe one of my one of my first experiences and um, right out of college went into um, the technology space and um, found my way to security a couple of years later and can't imagine doing anything else now, especially given where the security space is and, and just the innovation and what's, in, you know, all of the interesting challenges that we're trying mm-hmm. to solve. Um, so, yeah, that's that's sort of how I ended up here. And Jason, how about yourself? Well, for me, I actually went to school for microbiology. Wow, and I was okay. working uh, in the Department of Biotechnology, working on the Human Genome Project. Um, and there was always this robotic arm sitting in the corner that was never used, and I'd always you know, kind of wondered about it. And one day, they brought in a guy from the computer science uh, department to program the arm. And the whole point of their arm was it was supposed to help us automate the human sequencing of the genome. And uh, I stood over his shoulder one day, and I said, you know, how do you make this thing work? And he was showing me a bunch of C code um, from the SDK, and I had no idea what I was looking at, but I just thought it was the coolest thing ever, and that always stuck with me. And later on uh, in life, after I graduated, uh, I just came upon this job opportunity. Um, I'd already had a job lined up in in microbiology, but there was a job where they said, we will train you for the next three months, uh, all day, every day on computers, um, and you'll get paid for it. And then three months from now, you'll start on the job. And I said, you know what, why not give it a shot? All my friends who were doing engineering classes were uh, sort of gravitating towards computers, even though they were mechanical engineers or electrical engineers. They all ended up in the computer space. And that seemed to be where things were going. And so uh, I I went ahead and took the job and never looked back. It's so funny you find that fascinating, but then you're looking at the human genome and all the DNA sequencing and what wasn't like just obsessed with that as well. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and so you guys have been in this team for a while, and Jason, we talked before you joined, but um, how long have you been in this team working in the security space at Microsoft? Yeah, it's been uh, almost three years now. Uh, I was actually doing a lot of things besides security before I came and joined this team. Uh, this this effort around the security API in particular has taken a couple years to get off the ground. Um, really kind of a lot of forming, uh, as we talked about earlier, it, it involves all the different teams at Microsoft producing security products, so it's taken quite a lot of time to to get everybody on the same page and figure out what we want to deliver. So, well, how about yourself, Sarah? Yeah, so I'm relatively new to um, Microsoft. Joined five years ago. Um, so before that, I'd been 15 years in technology startups. Mm-hmm. Most recently for a, a company called Phone Factor, which was acquired by Microsoft. It was a multi-factor authentication technology. So if you're signing into a Microsoft property and you get a phone call or a text message, that's that's probably the Phone Factor technology that's that's powering that. So um, certainly some some uh, depth in the security side. And when I came over to Microsoft after I, I sort of got the Phone Factor um, product landed um, here inside of Microsoft, shifted focus and started working on Azure Security Center. So as part of the team that built that service um, from the, the ground up. Um, and then as it moved from its infancy into its, its teenage years, uh, sort of shifted gears last January to start focusing on uh, the graph security APIs in particular, which we were getting ready to launch a couple of months later. And so was the driver with the security APIs mainly as a, a, we call it like the first party and the third party, was it more of a driver on the first party, but making it public so it was available for the third party? Or like how did these come about? Like Jason just mentioned a little bit about it, but just to kind of explain, um, you know, what it is and, and, and what was kind of what drove you to kind of build this API. 
So while there are a lot of um, use cases for first parties, we really were thinking more about you know, how do we solve customer uh, integration challenges? Um, you know, today, integrating these different security technologies with a customer's existing tools and workflows is really, really cumbersome. Each of them is generating its own set of alerts in a different schema with a different set of APIs. And so a customer, you know, for them to deploy a Microsoft technology or any other required a lot of integration effort. So was, mm-hmm. there was that problem that we were, we were trying to solve. And secondarily, we thought, gosh, if there was the ability to share these insights, not only only you know, with the customer's existing workflows, but across the security technologies that are employed within that organization, you know, all of those security technologies could effectively be smarter and we could help our customers to better defend against cyber threats. Um, so it's really kind of both dimensions there that we were, were trying to solve, um, you know, enabling customers to, to streamline integration and enabling this ecosystem of connected security technologies um, to really improve cyber defenses for our customers. And, and for someone who's not really in the security space, and I'll put my hand up and go, I kind of mm-hmm. get some of it, but not all of it. But as a developer, what would be some of those experiences that you would be kind of be able to grab insights on? Like, is it things like Windows Defender and other products like that? Or is it deeper than that? So it's, it's most of the Microsoft security technologies. So yeah. think about those things that are running analytics or monitoring endpoints or identities or servers uh, to detect pol- potentially malicious activity. So all of those systems are generating alerts. So this would be Windows and Office Advanced Threat Protection, the Microsoft Cloud App Security Solution, Azure Active Directory Identity Protection, our Information Protection Solutions, Azure Security Center, yeah. um, and many others. So, um, so yeah, so, so definitely looking across those security technologies that are generating alerts um, that would need to be integrated. And then uh, some of those issues that were coming up, you mentioned about like having to learn the different ways to integrate with all those individual products rather than having a kind of unified API to go call it. I guess this is similar to, you know, the way we position the Microsoft Graph of, well, you learn how to get mail out of your exchange using the EWS API and then you get learn how to get files out of SharePoint using the SharePoint API. Is it the same challenge that you were trying to fit there uh, from a security perspective and just have that the graph on there as well? It is, but I think it's even a bit more challenging because you're talking about distinct entities, files or... Uh, mail and the challenge for us is that you know all of these systems are are emitting alerts that need to be correlated and integrated into the same systems, mm-hmm. um, and so not only do you have to go and interact with all of these different APIs, but they, they there's no common schema across them. So okay. you know once you get all of the data in one place, you've still got to to sort of rationalize the different um, schemas and and that's where you know having a central point is helpful. So one API to integrate, but also um, you know aggregating those results and returning them in the in the common schema and that's where Jason's team has you know invested a lot of time in working across all of these um, security um, services first party and third party Mm -hmm. to define that common schema that will work across them to enable these scenarios like better correlating alerts across these different systems and 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 that sort of thing yeah I often get asked you know like what do PMs do here at Microsoft And, and in my role I'm doing a lot of the kind of speaking to lots of different workloads on the graph and making sure that they're well presented in how we kind of explain the developer experience for the graph to see that all the different value of that API. But I guess with your case, you're having to speak to all those different security teams and kind of get them onto the same kind of path of, yeah, this looks like the correct schema that we can all map to. And Exactly. And that, that was a very, very large undertaking, yeah. as you can well imagine. I mean, uh, uh, this is something that's taken 
probably a year and a half of work to, to come upon uh, the standardized schema that we've that we've gone with. And and as we have alluded to, this API isn't just for Microsoft security products as well. It's got third party products uh, that we're offering through through the API to deliver their alerts as well. Um, there are no Microsoft security shops out there. If you talk to an enterprise, uh, even Microsoft itself, if you look at our security departments, we use lots of different products besides just our own security solutions. So we wanted to develop an API uh, that was extensible, not just for Microsoft products, but for third parties as well. And so we had to work with those folks as well when it came to this, the schema of the API. Uh, and, and so it took a long time. Um, but I think it's really, really worthwhile. This is something that uh, some people said we will never achieve, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm actually very, very proud that we were able to c- come up with such a rich taxonomy. Um, and what that ta- taxonomy gives you is, as Sarah said, when you're trying to correlate these alerts into a centralized system and you want to answer simple questions like, I want to know all of the alerts related to Sarah, for example, from any product, no matter what product, what type of product it is, any, an identity product, an endpoint product, a cloud service um, there's a very uh, specific place in the, every alert that you'll go to look for that. And so making a query like that is super, super easy now. Um, correlating alerts together, very, very easy. And so uh, wh- when was this announced publicly? Like how long have people been able to use this out in the wild? Yeah, so we first went out publicly at RSA last year in April, I believe it was, um, where we announced the beta of the API. Mm-hmm. Um, and not all of the Microsoft security products were yet available. Um, and we had some third-party uh, proof of concepts and demonstrations that we showed some integrations with Palo Alto Networks, uh, with PwC uh, as an MSSP, and, and with uh, Anomaly. Uh, so since then, uh, at Ignite, we're going to be launching uh, this in the version one of the API. Um, and that means that you can take production workloads on this API, uh, and it's now ready. Uh, we will have uh, basically all of the Microsoft security products that, that Sarah mentioned behind the API, uh, offering their alerts in a common schema. Uh, we'll have uh, a unified SIEM solution through Azure Monitor, where we can get the alerts uh, in a streaming API that way. And uh, we will have announcements of the third parties that are going to be what we call providers, meaning that when you call the API, you'll get answers from these security uh, products, um, as well as some client integrations that, that we're going to be highlighting at, at the conference as well. Right. So like as a, an IT administrator, maybe all this pl- plumbing is all done for me. But if I did want to go and see the alerts around Sarah, mm-hmm. um, there will be like a user interface experience that they can use that will kind of bring all that data up. So our team is not building a UI. Yeah, We're right. simply delivering the API. Yeah. Um, there, there will be uh, third-party products building uh, UIs on top of this, of mm-hmm. course. Um, and as you can well imagine, there are already uh, there is already work at the company Microsoft uh, to leverage this API for our own our own purposes, and and likely you will see some some of the panes of glass that we offer around security space being powered off of this API in the very very near future. Sure, and um, developers are always interested in this journey of like different teams taking different amounts of time to go from working on this to getting it into the beta or beta, depending on where you are in the world, yeah. and then to V one. Um, I can imagine with the way that this project's been handled that, I mean, it's impressive it's happened that quickly, but are there any, like, take-homes for, you know, things that you did as a beta thinking it was the right thing to do that have evolved slightly with a V1, <laughs> like schema-wise or endpoint shape-wise? Yeah, of course. So we we... we... 
really tried to limit the amount of churn we had on the on the schema, yeah. but we did have to do one uh, one change to the schema, uh, one round of change. So we made several adjustments to the schema, uh, mostly additive, but we did take away a couple of fields that we saw were simply not being used by by any of the people yeah, leveraging the API while it was in beta. So. Um, that wasn't entirely unexpected, and I think it, it all went went quite well. Um, on the provider side, which is again what we call a security provider, is is either a Microsoft product or a third party product that sits behind the API that actually responds to queries. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the provider side, when we were talking to our third parties, we actually held what we called a provider workshop, which, where we invited several third parties to come in and sit with us and actually uh, learn what it takes to build a provider. And we actually sat down and actually wrote code with them for a couple of days. Very successful, but it did it did uh, shed light on a particular problem we had in the provider ecosystem um, and the way we were architecting the system that, that we did have to make a pretty substantial and late-breaking change. Um, that set us back a little bit of time, so definitely a learning, learning there. Yeah, and I guess that's the you know for people listening, they often get asked the question of all you know, beta versus v1, and I guess the you know in our small print, but we make it pretty stand out that you know we do have the right to, to make those changes in the schemas or in the shape of the APIs for you know the benefit of the fact that once this thing does go to v1, it's not like we can start changing that contract because. In effect, would be breaking Absolutely. all those yeah, providers and underlying services. So um, there is certainly a risk by using the beta, but it does allow kind of teams like yourself to get that feedback. Yeah, on we certainly appreciated all of the feedback we got from folks that were early adopters. And yeah, and so um, what's new at Ignite? What are some of the? I mean, the alerting aspects of the security API, but. There's some other things you have too, right? Yeah, so one of the things that's, that's going to be at Ignite that we never even announced at RSA at all um, is the Microsoft Secure Score. So Secure Score is something that was introduced by the Office team and has now been adopted fairly widely across the company. And really what it is is think about a set of policies that Microsoft is advising you. Uh, if it's related to Office, it's let's say it's the 35 things that we think anybody's Office 365 tenant should be configured uh, to protect it as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And how does your organization stack up against these 35 policy settings? Um, are you 90% of the way there? Are you 20% of the way there? Um, this is what your secure score is effectively for Office. Well, Azure Security Center has a similar thing on how your virtual machines and your cloud services that Azure Security Center protects, how are those configured? Are they, are, are they um, set up according to the, the best security policies that Azure Security Center advises? And Windows Defender doing the same thing for Windows. So together, all of these different um, product-specific secure scores make up what's called the Microsoft Secure Score. You can sort of think of it as your FICO score, your, <laughs> your kind of um, credit rating. If you will. And not only does it does the secure score come through the API with all of the different subcomponents and everything, so you can, if you're building a compliance-related application, you can pull these in uh, very, very easily. Yeah, so not only can you pull in all of these uh, uh, secure scores from different products like Azure and Windows and, and Office, um, but this is an extensible entity as well. So over time, if we have third-party security products that want to produce secure scores, maybe it's Palo Alto that wants a Palo Alto secure score for how you've got your firewalls configured, um, that can be made available through this API as well. Wow, that's awesome. 
And so that's becoming uh, in beta for this announcement that Ignite? Yes, thank you. So uh, we didn't mention it at RSA at all, mm-hmm. but over the summer we, we developed this API and we're delivering it through beta. Um, and we actually expect it to reach V1 in a fairly short order of time after, after it goes into beta. That's great. So Sarah, in terms of like the scenarios of use of this, it, I mean, there seems to be a lot of uh, an ISV type play there, but how would you, um, just to kind of pivot a bit, how would you see like an enterprise development team using this, maybe a large organization that maybe is concerned about security and the security guys don't know about this API, but the developers at that company are listening to this podcast or they attend Ignite and see these things. Like what scenarios are you expecting to kind of come out straight away? Yeah, so we're, we're already seeing some interesting uses. Um, uh, we see some teams that are building out um, sort of management dashboards um, on top of um, you know, the uh, cloud workloads, mm-hmm. for example. And so they built some lightweight dashboarding on top, and they want to include security um, information as part of that dashboard. Maybe as part of their IT management experience, they want to have some security visibility. You know, it used to be IT um, was you know, kind of separate from you know, security operations, um, let's say, but we see those things merging together a lot more now than we have in the past. You know, there's security related to IT management and um, IT management related to security. So we see the blurring of those lines. You could imagine you know, a variety of different IT management dashboards where security information could be very helpful. So we see that. We also see enterprise developers who are supporting security operations teams building um, uh, or leveraging the graph to surface security information into those custom dashboards or custom tools mm-hmm. um, that they have available. So they may want to you know, build in the ability to, to pivot to find you know, alerts for a particular user or to pull in all alerts or to access some contextual information. So we see uh, developers in big organizations um, doing both, sort of building it into um, IT management uh, experiences and into security um, operations management um, tool sets. And then we do see some other kind of interesting scenarios where um, uh, enterprises are leveraging uh, security data from the graph for non-security applications. Um, Think about um, HR or financial applications, which could potentially benefit from the security uh, data or insights, but aren't necessarily security specific. There's lots of different kind of line of business applications where security uh, could also come into play. And in terms of the way they access that, Jason, is it... um more of a you call the API to see the collection of results or are there kind of eventing aspects in there as well where you can subscribe yet? Yeah, there's actually both. So um, the security API is a bit different than much of the rest of the graph in that um, one of the taglines the Microsoft Graph team uses a lot is the graph starts with me. Yeah. Um, it's not quite that way in the security space. Mm. Uh, you don't typically call the graph as Jason Westcott. You'd call the graph as Microsoft. Right. All right. I have the ability to look at Microsoft security metadata. So getting this data out of the API, there's a, there's a few ways you can do it. Uh, certainly, I could set up an application that calls the API and says, I'd like to see my security alerts for my organization for the last five minutes. Mm-hmm. And then five minutes later, I can ask again and say, okay, it's been five minutes. Please give me all my new alerts. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that kind of polling approach. Uh, our, our query limitations are such that you could, you could do that all day long from even the biggest organization and would have no problems with throttling or anything like that. That being said... Uh, you can also do things like subscribe. So we have this notion of webhooks that the Microsoft Graph supports and the security API does as well, meaning that either I can uh, 
provide a query to the graph to say, I'd like to see all new alerts from, let's say, Azure Security Center, and subscribe to that, meaning that every time Azure Security Center produces a new security alert for my organization, I'm actually going to get notified of that. Um, once I get that notification, I will call back to the API and get the actual alerts uh, myself. We don't deliver the payload as part of the notification. We only tell you that there's a new alert waiting for you. Um, so you can think about either using the subscription model to, to ingest all alerts for your organization, um, and there's nothing wrong with that as well. Mm -hmm. Or I can build an application that ingests alerts and then maybe has a user interface where I'm doing an investigation because Sarah has done some suspicious activity and I just kind of like to keep an eye on her and, and be notified if there's something specific related to Sarah. So I could have a subscription button in the application that just says notify me of any alert that comes from any system related to Sarah Fender. Um, and then as soon as any anything happens, I'll be uh, so it doesn't getting have to be that like notification. A broad subscription, it can be quite narrow as well. It can be very, very narrow, yeah. And then in terms of that, like if a developer was trying to get started, um, where would they go to kind of get samples and so forth on these things? Great question. So we, of course, um, even during the beta, but now that we're going into version one, we have the full API documentation up on graph.microsoft.com uh, where all of the rest of the Microsoft Graph uh, documentation is. So all of the entities are described in detail. Um, there's lots of different uh, guidance provided up there as well. Uh, but we do have a bunch of sample applications available on GitHub. So uh, from the client perspective, we have a client application that exercises every feature of the Alerts API. So for anywhere from subscriptions uh, to uh, patching alerts, uh, which is something we didn't talk about too much. But this API is not just a read API, but it's a write API as well. Um, and so our client application, um, it's got a nice little UI. Uh, certainly not shipping quality, but it gives you a good sense of, of things you can do with this API. Um, and that's available on GitHub in three different languages. We've got a C-sharp version, a, a, a JavaScript version, and a, a Python version, which we okay. found uh, most of the security development seems that's to happen in the Python language. Yeah, that makes sense. And so you know, you, you, you know, it's kind of on the bridging on the edge of like, Sarah's doing something wrong and I want to know about the alerts, yeah. but what are the funny demos you guys do? Because you know, we've been thinking about doing these at Ignite and you know, do we need a Windows PC there with a virus on the disk and you know, trigger that Windows Defender alert so that it comes up? Like, how have you been showcasing these things to different enterprise? Yeah, customers? it's kind of tricky because you can't show typically um, real alerts from the Microsoft tenant, for example, right. while we're at yeah. a showroom floor. <laughs> I think that would be frowned upon. Um, yes. So you'll, you'll ding the security uh, score, right? And and and. Surprisingly, not all of these security products are very, very easily triggerable. Some yeah. of them are, like Azure Security Center, I can just plop something down and call it Mimikatz, which is a well-known uh, <laughs> hacker tool. Um, and it, if I run that, even if it was really just a rename notepad, uh, it would actually trigger an alert. But there's others that are all machine learning based. Uh, oh, okay. For example, Azure Identity Protection. That's something that it monitors your behavior over a series of, of days, weeks, and months. And as you deviate from that normal behavior, that's that's where alerts start to happen. So it's it's actually quite tricky to just generate an alert on the fly for a right. product like that. And many of the products are, are similar. So we do have a completely um, what we call curated demo demonstration environment where we have a full tenant that's uh, fully populated with all of the different security products that are supported through the API with alerts from each of them. 
And we use the different client applications that I just mentioned that are available on GitHub to actually show those alerts coming through, show subscriptions to those alerts, patching those alerts. It's actually exercising the real API. It's just going to a special tenant is the only real difference. The other thing that we um, uh, are, are going to be doing at Ignite is showcasing how some of our uh, how, how some integrated applications mm-hmm. are pulling in alerts and what their experience looks like on top of those. Um, so we've got partners like Anomaly who have integrated um, via the graph in their uh, Anomaly Enterprise Threat Intelligence platform, mm-hmm. and so we'll actually be able to showcase how a customer who's using the Anomaly product um, can uh, have access to alert data sourced via the graph and can can take action on that uh, to investigate in the anomaly experience. So we've got our own sort of demo um, uh, application that we can use, but even more powerful if we can show that um, in yeah, action. Something uh, they're already purchased and using, right? Exactly. So we'll do a bit of a, a mix of both. Um, so we'll have our, our own demo uh, environment and then uh, be able to start showcasing uh, the integration in some of our, our third-party um, partners as well. Yeah, I've been in the SharePoint ecosystem for better or worse for nearly 15 years, I guess, and one of the keynotes, they uh, had a server rack and they unplugged the network of the servers to show the failover live on stage mm-hmm. to another SharePoint team. But uh, I think there was a lot of people sweating in the background with that demo that <laughs> they course. decided that was the one and only time they would do that demo. Yeah, demos are always uh, <laughs> are always fun. The more the more interesting and compelling and live they are, <laughs> the, the more the, likely they break. The more likely they are to break. So hopefully, hopefully uh, this week at Ignite, the demo gods will be smiling on us. <laughs> and then you mentioned the patching thing, and it kind of brought this up of um, where are all these alerts being stored? Like, are these in um, like tenant by tenant based storage that can be accessed in a different way, or is it only through the API that that data can be can be retrieved? Yeah, it's a great question because we actually get this a lot when we're talking to customers. Um, the thing about this particular API, the security API, is it is a completely federated system. So while we talk about the intelligent security graph um, and and this API being your gateway into that graph. There isn't some big central data lake, for example, that hosts all of these security alerts. What really happening under the covers is that when you ask for for an alert from this API, uh, we'll actually federate that call out to the security product that you're licensed for. So while as a client developer, you don't need to know what security products I have in my environment, um, on the back end, the API actually does know what those are, and it will federate requests out to only those products and return the results back. So each security product has its own data store. We as the API developers don't even need to know what those are. All we have to know is that they're capable of responding to the requests that we send them. Mm -hmm. So it's a a very big federated system. And so yes, through the native products, you can get to these alerts uh, through the UI. And they're pane of glass, but through the API, we're federating those calls all on the back end. Yeah, that's really smart. That's a serious amount of infrastructure and smarts to do all that. <laughs> well, it actually saves a lot too, right? I mean, yeah. think about trying to have, maintain a copy of well, every I'm, single security alert yeah. for every customer I'm in sure one central a data of, store. A lot be. of enterprises probably doing that right now as it is. Yeah. Cool. Um, what's the best way to keep plugged into this? Like, obviously, they can go to the graph blog and see those announcements there. But are there any other um, content areas that you guys focus on that is more security related and not so much graph related? Maybe. Well, there is a tech community um, for graph security uh, in particular, so that's a great place. Um, Stack Overflow also another good place mm-hmm. um, uh, to to get information. 
Um, so I'd certainly recommend those two places as uh, outside of the documentation and, and SDKs and code samples we've talked about as being good resources. Jason, did and, I miss anything? Well, we'll be putting things up on the Microsoft Secure website as well. That's where our major blog announcements are going to appear. Okay. What's the URL for that? I think it's just Microsoft.com slash secure. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> nice, easy one. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time. I know everyone's super busy with Ignite this week, pre-planning and stuff, but it was great to have this one pre-recorded to kind of have out there for the audience to listen to while they're at Ignite. So um, I'll be excited to see what other stories we can share, maybe at the next event of what kind of scenarios you guys have unlocked and what ISVs and enterprises are doing with the API. So congrats on shipping. It's thank you so much. Thanks. And thanks so much for your time. Thank, thank you for you. having us. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 